heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. You know, there are days we go by, my fellow Americans, where I, for one, get sick and tired of talking about COVID. I would imagine you feel the same way. Because, let's face it, we've been doing this COVID exercise now for a couple of years. And here we are. And, you know, people are always using the word normal. Are we getting back to normal? And, of course, that gets very political. What kind of a normal are we looking for exactly, right? Uh, you know, we've been through together some unprecedented times. We have you and I, I'm speaking about. Um, it, really, it's been remarkable. You know, we're trying to drive the information out there. We do all these Q&As. We do all kinds of resources and information uh, on the network and the platform, hoping to make a little difference. You know, at the end of the day, that's what it should be about, shouldn't it? If we can all make a difference in what we're doing. COVID has changed the way we live, but it's also changed the way we think, okay? I don't know that we can ever get back to that point that we would have been in, well, in November 2019, I would say to you, uh, right? I mean, I don't know that we can ever really get back there in our minds where we were. It's a lot of damage here and a lot of water under the dam, as they say. And, you know, what do we do with all that? Where do we pick up? One of the things that's been hit the hardest is the healthcare, the medical community. I've never seen such a rift in my life in, in an industry as I see right now in the medical industry, the healthcare. I mean, you know, we thought we were fighting before when we were talking about medical plans and, you know, healthcare and the quality of health and things like Obamacare and health coverage and stuff. I got news for you. Uh, it's all changed now. And the thing about it is, you know, I don't think everybody can still wrap their mind around this because when you look at the facts and, you know, this game of COVID has always been about connecting dots. You, you know what I'm saying? It, no matter what level of conversation we're having, we have to connect dots. Really, though, because there's so many charades being played here. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, you know, odd games and things that sort of don't make any sense. We get to a point and we kind of beat our head against the wall and say, does that make any sense? No. And, you know, so it's all, it, I mean, I feel like we're in a senseless game sometimes. Like, you know, like the end times game, like a, some sort of an end times monopoly game, you know, and you really can't figure it out. You know, so that's the way I feel. I don't know. Does that make sense? Do you feel anywhere near that yourself out there? The thing I, we cannot lose sight of. You know, back to the lessons of this COVID exercise, extraordinary, I mean, that has changed our lives forever. It's changed our planet. The thing we can never lose sight of is the human element, humanity. That's the thing we cannot lose sight of, my friends, is the human element. The people who have, who, who are gone, who've lost their lives to, in many cases, not all, but in a lot of cases, to malpractice, to, to, to murder, to nonsense, you know, to 
to profiteering. Uh, call it whatever you want. Now, I, I, for one, I'm not a theorist. I don't play in those worlds. I never have. You know, you talked to me a few years ago about a global reset or a, a Agenda 21 or a thing and a thing and a thing. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, OK, gotcha. But I, you look at me. I don't do shows on that stuff. I just I don't subscribe to a lot of that stuff. But, you know, my friends. At some point, you have to connect some dots and, and, and see where we're at. Now, it becomes a trail. And where does the trail lead? You know, it, a conspiracy is a plan to commit some sort of action. You know, it's a, it's a conspiracy. It's a plan of action. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Doesn't mean it's right, but it's a plan. And then that's different than a conspiracy theorist. or somebody just dreams up this stuff every day. Let's, let's be clear of the difference here, okay? Now, there's a lot of dots that need to be connected here in COVID land for sure. But the humanity point of this, what's going on in our hospitals? So as I started out here it, with all of this and we became sort of this go-to mechanism, this place, this network of COVID, uh, I, it happened. I, you know, it, it, a lot of things happen here because they're more of an act of God and part of God's mission more than anything. I don't have a magic trick otherwise to say how it happens or how we get there, but it happens. You know, it's kind of that thing you remember back in your life where somebody says, well, you're in the right place at the right time, right time, right place, or the wrong place at the wrong time. Both of those can have dire consequences on your life, by the way, you know, and being at the wrong place at the wrong time can have, it could kill you, could have dire consequences and take you right out of the game, whether you're healthy or not, you see. So a lot of that has transpired from COVID. And the one thing I, I've seen is, you know, that I was beat into me when I first started getting, you know, some of the uh, COVID expertise, the, the, the doctors on the platform here that knew far more than I ever knew. But, you know, the one thing I am that I bring to the table here is, is a communicator. I'm a communicator. Um, so, but I'm not... Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't um, have all the knowledge and the expertise in these fields. You know, you just have to have the smart people around you who do know this stuff. So I, I don't hide that from you. I mean, that's the way it is. I'm good at what I do, but I don't profess to be great at everything, you know. So I'm, I'm more or less an orchestra conductor or something, you know, can try to keep the music playing and make sense of it. I, I, I think be one way to look at it. Today, I think on The Voice of a Nation, I want to talk to you about the human factor and the humanity in all of this, specifically the hospitals, death by hospital. That's what I'm talking about today. Yeah, yeah, right. Death by hospital, COVID style. What does that really mean? The one thing that was beaten to me time and time again was don't get into the hospital. Early treatment, stay at home. Don't. And I started hearing that. And I'll be honest with you, when I first started hearing that, I thought these guys are wackadoodles. What the hell are they talking about? And we all know that you go to the hospital to be saved. Your precious doctor, the medical, the healthcare industry, right? And I said, what are these wackadoodles talking about? It don't make any sense to me. You know, get in, don't get in the hospital. I mean, if you need a hospital, that's where you go to be saved, isn't it? That's what we were raised. It's what we were taught. So when all that talk started happening, I really couldn't connect what they were. I thought they were all a little cocoa for cocoa pops, surely. You know, what was happening? Stay out of the hospital, stay out of the hospital. If you really need a hospital, it's a place to go. But I, and, and they started, a lot of this early treatment was talking. Now, I really didn't know why it was all being 
talk to the level it was. And and I, I trusted the people that were saying it, but I'll be truthful with you right now, I really didn't believe them. I mean, I'm, that's the first time I've said that, but I really didn't believe them, that that was all really that important. Okay, so there it is. Well, how times have changed, huh? Hmm. Yeah, I went through it in my own life. You know that. I mean, many of you, most of you out there know, if you've listened to me, you know that I came close to losing my own wife and burying her from the hospital and fought like hell to keep her out of the hospital based on what had been driven into my brain. And then I knew what I knew. In fact, I began to know too much. Not really, but that's knowledge. Knowledge, expertise that can save your life. And I use that to the best of my ability at that point to save not only my own life, but the life of my wife, who had a bad car accident, was struggling. Many of you know the story, not to get into that now, but, you know, one of our co-hosts on the network here, his wife died from COVID just a couple of few weeks ago, sadly, from it, you know, from in the hospital. The stories I see and hear, the emails, the compassion, the people reaching out are horror stories. I mean, there's something you couldn't make up. And the, the, they pour their souls out in this the, the messages to the network here. And I've sit just about on days, some days, just in tears reading some of these things. And knowing that, and I say to myself, how can I help? And I know in many cases, there's not anything I can do. It's beyond my control in a lot of cases. Um, so the hospitals have become central to the conversation here. And the influences that have been put forth from the federal government and the compensations that have been put forth here from these powers to be and the bureaucracy and the government agencies we have in D.C. that are all part of this a conspiracy, this plan for something. You tell me what the something is when you find out, will you please? But all of that combined, my fellow Americans, leave us with, <laughs> with where we are right this moment, with, a, with an unsettled feeling in our systems, in our souls. I mean, can you honestly say to me that you think that it's all okay, that it's all normal, that none, none of this is surprising to you, that you could, you know, it's all on the up and up. Do you, does anybody feel, do you know people? Wow. Who, who would think that way today based on all this information? Who would think that way? Nobody. You can't possibly think that way if you're looking at any of this. I mean, it's all over the place. And that's coming from me. I'm a practical guy. I, I mean, I put my pants on, my shoes the same way. I don't play in those other worlds. Yeah, we look at facts and data and we say, well, wow, well, yeah, this, this is a little more than suspicious at this point. So there are a lot of bad players here. Problem is now exposing this. This is what's called exposing uh, the crime, the crime, the crime. This is a crime. You call it whatever you want. It's murder. It's, it's a crime. And a lot of people have paid the ultimate price, like their life, due to this crime. And so, yeah, we should be a little outrageous. We should be a little out loud. We should be a little pissed. Yeah, that's where we find ourselves right today. I want to jump right in now and bring on our uh, uh, colleague and friend and brother, Dr. Henry Ely is here. Um, and um, so his, uh, his article this past week, his message, 
uh, really struck me. He does a brilliant piece every week called This Week in COVID. And it's it's outstanding. I mean, and he, he gets to the crux and he backs it up with data points and facts. Doesn't play theories. He's a guy that doesn't do theories. Uh, he looks at the facts and data, connects the dots. He's a dot connector. And he looks at all that and, you know, but what really got me this week here, friends, was when I seen the title of it, I thought, oh, boy. And then when I read into it, it was wow. And the title of this was Hospitals, Please Stop Killing Our Loved Ones. Now, I didn't know. I knew it was going to be gut-wrenching just by that title, but I really didn't know until I read the piece. And it struck his personal, uh, his own family, in fact. And there are some of us, we've had that. It's impacted our families. And where we've you know lost loved ones or almost did based on this this system this fallacy that's that's in play here um dr henry ely uh, welcome brother henry to the voice of a nation uh, malcolm thank you so much brother malcolm thank you so much for having me here and and giving me a a a, a place to share this story uh to speak my truth um and to um bring light to this darkness that has fallen upon us. Yeah. Um, what, I, what I'm going to do now is I want people to hear this story, and I want to hear it myself, because as you say in your piece, it, it is with a heavy heart that I must report to you that I failed in my goal. Let's talk about what that goal was and how, because I know you, and let me just tell listeners right now, and I, I'm going to tell you something really right now, very much from my heart, and I'm going to give the mic to to Brother Henry, and he can talk to you. But here, here's how I know this. Because when I was at that point, and I had, uh, and it, COVID had impacted me in the way it did. And, and uh, my wife was struggling with it. We had done early home treatments that whole week. And I had the ear and was talking every day to my personal friends, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Elizabeth Lee Fleet, uh, Dr. John Lottel, another very dear man, friend of mine, and Dr. Henry Ely. Brother Henry was the one who said to me, you know, and I was, I had it and my wife had it, but he said, call me three in the morning. Doesn't matter, Malcolm. Call me two in the morning. It doesn't matter when you call. Just let me know what you need. He's the one who sent an IV to my my place for me to have because I needed it myself and my wife went to the hospital itself and sent some um, uh, meds as well to me. And so just to give you an idea of what having heart means and what that, you know, what is really behind that or what's behind the man, the person. You know, I get people a lot of times, they say, you have a big heart, Malcolm. I, I, you know, I've heard that a lot in my life, Henry. And I love it when people say that, like, you know, okay, yeah. you have a big heart. I, I think, wow, well, that's really cool. I think that's like probably an ultimate compliment, maybe, you know, and I hear that from time to time and I never take it for granted, but it's, it, it's kind of an affirmation for me that I'm doing something right, maybe in this lifetime, you know, potentially. So with you, Henry, brother Henry, you have a big heart, like second to none as well. And that connection that happened that time, you were helping me and trying to save my wife, Dee, and along with the other, this special group of doctors, it could have had a whole different outcome in my world. Let me be sure with you people. Just know that we, I just said that before we came on live at the mic, I just said privately to brother Henry, I said, you, you realize, I, I just said to them privately, I just said, you know, you realize that. We could have had a whole different outcome with my yeah. wife. I yeah. said that to you, right? Let me give the mic yeah. to you. Go ahead, sir. 
Well, it's uh, certainly high praise. And, um, you know, I, I would like to just say I, I, all glory is due to God, is given to God. I, I Only the mistakes are mine, you know, in this lifetime. Um, I'm going to be a little emotional here. Um, and I, I hope that's okay with everybody listening. And I, I really appreciate everybody listening in and understanding the depth of what you so eloquently said, Brother Malcolm, in, in um we have to be able to re-engage our humanity. That means we have to feel. We have to feel when it hurts. We have to let it hurt. Uh, it's the only way we're going to get back into a joyous expression of, of life again, because there's a lot of hurt right now going on around the country, and it's been going on for years. And I didn't know the depth of how bad things were in the hospital. I knew I had already told my family personally that if something happens to me under no circumstances, am I to go to a hospital? And if it's that severe, it's my time to die. I will not die in a hospital. I will not be killed by malpractice and profiteering and competence um, going on in our uh, hospitals these days. We should have known when they were kicking out all of our brave uh, nurses and doctors who refused to get the shot, even though they had acquired natural immunity and had been brave to go into an unknown situation and do their duty for over a year and a half in almost every case. We should have known that something was wrong there. We should have known when Dr. Scott Jensen, Senator Scott Jensen, um, alerted us that you know the HHS, the Health and Human Services Department, had, was substantially reimbursing COVID diagnoses. We should have known when my team put together the willful misconduct of data manipulation and fraud being perpetuated and hyperinflating death certificates and case counts and the problems with the PCR, we should have known that something was up. And I didn't know how deep it ran. I knew something was up like you, Brother Malcolm, but I didn't know how deep it ran because I'm not a, a theorist either. I need data. I need empirical evidence. I only speak from that point of view. So this is the empirical evidence I'm going to share with everybody listening in today. I just watched um, as a hospital murdered my family member. And I watched as they did it for profit. It is unconscionable to me that my family member was forced to die alone, that my family member was essentially imprisoned in the hospital, um, that they could not be moved anywhere uh, upon family request, that the hospital was making decisions without having the family advocates um, approve those decisions prior to doing them. Uh, the hospital vented my family member without the family's approval. Um, and I think it's a tragedy that two years into this, my family member who was in the high-risk group, and she was over um, 60 years of age with diabetes and was overweight. I think it's a tragedy that her daughter and her son could not be by her side to say goodbye. And I think it's unconscionable that they attempted to prevent her son and her daughter from receiving the body so that we could get into a celebration of her life and ceremony. And we had to bring in our family attorney to intervene to get the body released. I, even today, Brother Malcolm, am still processing this, what just happened. And when I go through that processing, of course, there's anger with it, but even more so there's sadness because I'm never going to forget um, 
my family member's daughter calling me in tears, broken down in tears with the revelation that her mother had passed and she never got to say goodbye. That the hospital called her to tell her your mother has died. This is not okay. This is not how we have ever been or should ever be. And this is what we are going to have to change. And how we change it, we're working on that right now through our grand jury efforts. We're working on exposing the rampant fraud that none of this was necessary. These measures of preventing family members from being bedside was never necessary, never necessary. And if it is necessary, shouldn't a family member always have the right to sign a waiver of liability and say, I understand the risks, but I'm gonna go in and be next to my family member anyway. I mean, they're letting vaccinated nurses who have tested positive go back to work. So why can't a family member who tests negative go in and say, I'm gonna assume the risks and I'm gonna be bedside all day and all night because that's what we've always done. I remember when my mother passed away in the hospital, I slept by her bed on the floor every night for over a week until her moment came and we rushed her out of that hospital and got her to her final resting place, her bed in her home as she had requested. I can't imagine a family not being able to do that for someone they love, but this is what's going on. And brother Malcolm, I, I would love to share with your listeners the five things that I wrote about in the article as to what, why I'm calling this malpractice, why I'm calling this murder. I, I don't want to just say it because I feel that way and I'm hurt. I want to give evidence as to why and how it's murder. Is that okay for me to do? Yeah, we absolutely can. You know, you, you struck a chord with me a second ago when you talked about your mom and that, that moment, like you say, when a loved one like that is passing. You know, and there's so many things every time I talk to you, I find there's so many um, interesting commonalities. I uh, mm -hmm. thought processes I have with you. I did the same thing with my mom, brother. Same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, Could uh, you imagine not being able to do that? No, no. No, I did, did the same exact thing. I was right by her side and, st and slept in right there. They uh, in, mm -hmm. they had like a, a a chair they bought, and you know you try to sit in the chair right. and lay down and fall asleep. I was there for several days uh, with her, but uh, it's what we do uh, with those uh, that we uh, we we just love, and we know we're not going to see them again, and we want to be there for them and comfort them. So let me ask you, why hmm. I think about that happening now? Like for me, when I had no of choice, as you know, uh, you remember when I had to make the decision for my wife, Brother Henry, you remember when mm -hmm. I had to do it? You remember I asked you right out too, what do we think? Yep. We've done everything we could. We'd given her the ivermectin. We gave her all the meds. We gave her all the, we gave her everything for that week, uh, six mm -hmm. days, five, I have six days. I gave her the, uh, you know, uh, everything, the blood thinners, everything we could. And, but her oxygen levels fell too low is the problem. Right. And you right. need that help. And for her, she, you know, they, she was inches from being put on a ventilator. 
Right. Uh, but we starved it off somehow. And I remember I shared with you, they had the piece of equipment called the heated high flow, the heated high right. flow. Right. They put the heated high flow around her. And, and, and Brother Henry, this is what happened. And it put 60 liters of oxygen all around her body. And here's in, in the ER, the doc said to me, he said, um, well, we'll know within a couple of hours. Uh, if this doesn't work, he said, we're going to have to put her on the ventilator. We have in a medical coma. We have no other means to help her now at this point. Right. And it, it's up to her body to react to that. And this was the moment, see, because you lose control when your loved one goes into the hospital. And we know under these current conditions, the hospitals are not acting the way they should be acting. And they're doing things like I get all these messages in from people uh, where they're pushing remdesivir, for instance, which we'll talk about today as well. And we now know things about this, that this is, it's immoral, it's Mm -hmm. illegal, it should be, I mean, it should be, it's, I can't believe this. And this is what they're, and they're incentivizing the healthcare community to kill the people. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the biggest point of insanity I'll never understand. How, now, I thought when that happened to me, I thought, how am I going to push back, uh, Henry? I thought, how am I going to push back? Uh, like if they get in my face, in fact, I called my attorney to make sure he was on standby mm-hmm. because I was not in the mood for anything. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. I would have been the guy you'd have had to, but I guess what would happen, correct me on this though, we're in, in these hospitals. When we lose control of our loved one, our, our wife, our brother, our sister, our son, our daughter, or friend, whatever it is, and at that point, you know, we don't want to leave. Like, okay, so like, first of all, they don't allow us to get in there to begin with. So it's not like we can't right. leave because we never got entrance. But right. if we did push our way through, I would imagine, I, I didn't try, but I thought about it. I have to be honest with you because I'm, I'm a pretty big hard ass here, brother, when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know? Right. And But I thought, you know, they'll probably, I guess, what are they going to do, arrest you or lock you up for, I don't know, you're in a public, I mean, what is a hospital? Well, it's privately owned still. I mean, security, security, get this lunatic out of here so is this kind of what we're up against when people are at that difficult moment sadly that it is they they would security would attempt to escort you out if you refuse to go they would apprehend you and take you out of the building and they would call the police uh, to file a complaint of trespassing against you because you are not authorized to be in there and of course it's a severe pandemic and we have to do this for your own safety and all that other nonsense (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've and like you say, for your own safety, it is remarkable what's going on here. It's like everything from all the mask wearing exercises all over the place to pushing and getting these boosters and vaccines uh, four or five times over now that like half the world is, you know, i got to tell you, Brother Henry, I, and I'm just wondering, you know, you remember seeing those movies as a kid that were so far out there, which, you know, I mean, is half the world already turned into zombies or something? Did I miss that? What's going on? Well, you know, We've, we've lost complete sight of our humanity. We, we've, we've allowed this to become a politicized issue. We've allowed liars to mislead us, uh, to practice not misinformation, Brother Malcolm, but disinformation. And um, we've, uh, we've allowed them to um, imprison our family members in these hospitals. Hospitals are the new prisons. Uh, they're the new places where they're using Zyklon B. If you don't know what that is, go and study World War II. Um, it's, it's these places where they are not honoring the patient bill of rights. Now, the patient bill of rights is a very important um, document that every major medical association in almost every hospital has adopted. And, it's, and it says point blank that the patient or a family advocate working for on behalf of that patient, if the patient is incapable 
of making decisions for themselves, which a sedated patient is incapable of making decisions for themselves, that the rights and responsibilities for um, proceeding with any recommended medical intervention fall upon the family member, the family advocate. And they are ignoring the family advocate and acting like they know best. They're little people in white coats and, uh, and scrubs pretending that they're God and that they know how to save lives, but they're using one protocol that is handed down from the FDA and CDC, <clears throat> sanctioned by the hospital network that they're working for. And then um, when that doesn't work, they don't clinically reassess the situation and explore any possible alternatives. They have a one size fits all approach that is either going to work or not work, which tells me that people heal in spite of the protocol, not because of the protocol. We That's know, a good way to put it. That's a good right? way. To, yeah. Does anybody, uh, is there anything else in healthcare that what you just said is so, so factual? Is there anything else that comes to your mind in the medical or healthcare community that would have the same principle that what you just said? No, this is an apocalypse right now. This is a medical apocalypse happening. This has never happened before in human history. And we knew it was going to be this way because they've, we've never quarantined healthy people. We've never asserted that asymptomatic transmission is one, even a proven thing, let alone a driver of infective spread. We've never asserted that there is a situation so dire that a family member cannot be present bedside next to someone who is in, a, in, a, in that dire situation. So it's all fraud. It's all illusion. It's all lies. And what it does is it enables the hospital to take full control of the patient's body. It, uh, it allows them to do something that is deplorable. And that is assign a new doctor and new nurse to that patient every single day. And in working with my family member as a family advocate and interfacing with the doctors and the nurses on a daily basis, it was alarming to me that we were talking to a new doctor every day. It was alarming to me that we were talking to a new nurse every day. It was alarming to me that there was no continuity of care and that when I started asking questions about which tests had been ordered and which ones hadn't, that they did not order a vitamin D test upon entry. I had to demand that they order that, which they did. We didn't get results back for six days, even though it takes <clears throat> typically about three days or less to get a result and they could have expedited it. We found out that my family member was far below the goal of 50 nanograms per milliliter. And I asked the doctor on call, uh, the doctor of the day to um, administer vitamin D3. They said, of course they would. They would be able to give her a single dose of 600 IUs, which is essentially saying nothing. We were able to give her nothing. They, the, just for comparison, what the patient in that situation would need is about 25,000 IUs a day for a week. And then you step down to about 10,000 IUs once you've confirmed that the blood levels have risen to the point that you're looking for. But the, the metabolic demand and need for nutrition, for real nutrients, vitamin D, vitamin C, vitamin A, zinc, go up during a life-threatening infection, not down, especially when a person is already starting from a state of severe nutrient deficiency and has multiple pre-existing conditions. And I explained that to the doctors, but they wouldn't budge. 
when I then asked them, well, where are the antibody tests? So I want to see what her IgM and IgG antibodies are so I can stage where she's at in recovery. They asked me, why would I need that information? And I said, when did you graduate from medical school? Because when I graduated from medical school, this was a standard of care of how we monitor a person's progress through an infectious disease. And this is how we do it for every other infectious disease. Don't you, don't you remember that? And the doctor said, yes, I do remember that. And I said, so why aren't you doing it now? And he said, it's not necessary. This is COVID. And I said, do you don't understand that the clinical presentation can change that a person, <clears throat> excuse me, can, can have COVID, overcome COVID, and then the symptoms that they're presenting with be a remnant of that infection, of the destruction that the infection caused? And he said, well, that makes sense. And I said, I know it makes sense because that's what happens. And if you keep treating somebody for an infection after their body has resolved the infection, then you are now guilty of malpractice. And what you're doing is wasting precious time because this person needs you to adjust treatment. This is the hallmark of Dr. Chetty's protocol, Dr. Chetty from South Africa, where he's saying we need to look at this biphasic. That's what happened to D. We didn't really realize it at the time, but she was developing microclots. Mm -hmm. And if we had run a D-dimer on her, we, we would have realized that, oh my God, she's developing microclots. We have to treat this no longer as an infection. We have to treat this as a blood clotting inflammatory issue, which it was. Now, I knew that finally for my family member, and I implored the doctor yelled at the doctor on Wednesday of last week, yelled at him to administer budesonide because my family member was vented and fading. And I said, you owe it to try everything in your pharmacopoeia upon the family request based upon the patient bill of rights to try everything in your power to save this patient. And he said, we're not going to do it. There's no substantive evidence on it. And I provided evidence and he said, yeah, we're, we're not going to do that. We're not authorized to do that. And I said, you're not authorized to save a life. Your oath authorizes you to do everything you can to save a life. You have nothing to lose here. That's Wednesday of last week. Thursday afternoon, I get the call from my cousin. And she's just completely broken. Her mother died alone. And she didn't get to say goodbye. And, you know, um, Brother Henry, now I get the timeline in my mind. And then when you wrote this piece, obviously, uh, hospitals, please stop killing our loved ones. Now I see how fresh the wounds were because you had just written that because it arrived in the platform. It went live Friday. So this was pretty raw, wasn't it? Pretty raw. I wrote it. I wrote it that night. I yeah. felt like yeah. this yeah. is a story we cannot yeah. sit on. We yeah. can't just yeah. pretend this isn't happening. I knew it when I read it and I actually responded to you and I said, rather said, we got to, we got to dive on this one. We're going to have to get on air. And you said, I'm there. Just let me know. I just felt it immediately. As soon as I read it, uh, you know, um, when we talk about the, the um, pharmacopoeia issue, I think it's a term you used a moment ago, right? Pharmacopoeia, mm -hmm. which is, you know, mm -hmm. you do everything you can do. And you talk about the oath versus, uh, you know, uh, the fact that they're being handcuffed. And this is was the perplexing thing that we couldn't figure out some time ago in many a conversations I've had with others, including McCullough and, and others. And we couldn't, nobody could really get their arms around what you and I, you just, we just hit the nail on the head here just moments ago, brother Henry, we just hit it. 
And, you know, when, when I titled this coming in today, I said death by hospital COVID style. You know, what you're describing right now, to, to be real with you, is COVID style. You understand that's COVID mm-hmm. changed all of the normal normalcy in any of this. And so that's so, yeah, it's death by hospital, but it's COVID style. Does that make sense? It, it, it makes total sense because we have never done this for any other infectious disease. We don't do this to this day for any other infectious disease. But here's the thing that you have to keep in mind. When you keep a family member out of the hospital, yeah. it, it has nothing but a negative impact upon the outcome possibilities. And what it also does is if a doctor makes a mistake, a nurse makes a mistake, there's nobody there to catch it before exactly. it becomes catastrophic. And therefore, there's nobody, there's no witness to call it malpractice. Which is which becomes murder, by the way, when they die. Okay. That's right. when when you know that your patient is dying and you refuse to look at empirical evidence that might be able to save them, and you refuse to administer something that could be life-saving, at that point you are in violation of your license, you're in violation of your oath, and you are committing malpractice that is leading to death, that is murder. You know, the point that Dr. Ely just brings up is an important point that uh, you, you were not having access to this. So nobody's there to catch it all. Well, you know, darn well, my friends, that when these situations happen in the hospital, it's always the loved ones uh, that become the advocates for they become that person who speaks for that person or who helps them or who can, you know, and who have to make the decision. See, in this case, uh, what's happening with COVID style is the family's like excluded, like they don't even exist. I mean, they're not in on the decision making. They're not in on anything. And, and so, you know, that, that is a real problem. And uh, that, that's the, really the crux of this COVID style, what we're talking about. So anyways, it's, it's um, very, very complex. You know, I knew that this was going to be a, a very, uh, a very powerful conversation. And I, I felt it before today. I just knew it. And anytime I come on with uh, Brother Henry, uh, Dr. Henry Ely, uh, you just know it's going to be that way because uh, it's just, um, it's, it's real. It's real. And it's, it's, uh, it's where the emotions are. It's re- real life, real life stuff, people. And this COVID has uh, put us through a lot of real life stuff as a people, for sure. Uh, you know, we got to help each other out, for sure, as a people. That's what it's all got to be here. We've learned such incredible lessons, but, you know, fixing this is really the, the, the tall order now. When we get back from the pause here a moment here, uh, and, and, and by the way, Dr. Henry, he is really, really, because we talked earlier today off mic about, you know, he's got really pushing this grand jury thing and actually going to up the ante now and dealing with some other powerful folks around our country and really getting some of the states to have to uh, look at this and accept this and bring this uh, to a point uh, you know, well, it's, you know what he's doing? He's getting out loud. That's what he's doing. Isn't that what it is? You got to get out. That's the whole, I mean, come on. That's the whole thing about this network. I mean, we just, we just want to get out loud with the truth. We're ladies and gentlemen always, uh, but we want to be real. We want to be real. want to get out loud with the truth. We'll take a quick pause, my fellow Americans, and we'll be back with Dr. Henry Ely. You're listening to the voice of a nation. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, 
we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -E -L -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America out loud. We are the voice of a nation, the American nation that is. This is Malcolm Out Loud. I invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com where the fight for liberty and justice continues. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Listen to Malcolm, the voice of a nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. There are those of us who were on the front lines of COVID. Quite a few of us actually have this happened in our own personal lives, our families. Uh, we, we've been traumatized, I guess. You know, one interesting way to look at it, surely the country, and I would imagine the whole world, in many ways, think about it in this terms, uh, my fellow Americans, we probably have PTSD from some of this, you know? We have been traumatized, haven't we? I mean, and in some very odd ways. And it's and that's kind of what this hospital deal has been. I mean, we just know that, you know, we all fought and the medical community that did fight, that piece of it, there was a piece of it that fought, you know? Um, that to keep them out of the hospital. And that was powerful. That's That was what I said to you moments ago that was a real mind bender for me because it, it went against everything we were taught as kids that we were raised with, you know, about the hospital and the healthcare community as a whole, you know what I'm saying, you know? So, so there's death by hospital. You know, it's a very personal thing to me. It's very personal, Dr. Henry Lee and it's hit his own uh, life as well. Um, and others, I'm telling you, there are other, it's all around me. It's all around me. It's been on the platform. Um, the same thing. I mean, I hate to say it, even Dr. McCullough had a very personal loss recently. We've all experienced it, people. We've all gone through it in, in some way, shape or form. So all we can do now is how do we learn from this? How do we hold those accountable that need to be held accountable? That's going to be the trick to this, Dr. Ely is holding those people accountable. That's going to be the real trick in this because that's where the, sure, the rubber meets the road there, but it's also where um, a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, I don't know, it's going to be a lot more slipperiness when this thing comes out. Uh, people are going to, I mean, it's starting to now as you see and you connect the dots. Let's talk about those five ways they're killing our loved ones. And I want to circle back with Remdesivir as well. And I also want to try to squeeze in here. Uh, I want people to understand the profits that the hospitals and the medical community is making from some of this. I'd like to expose all that in, in the next 15 minutes. So let's get to those five ways they're killing our loved ones, please. 
Well, um, Brother Malcolm, the, the first way is that patients, like what I said in the, in the initial segment, <clears throat> patients never have the same doctor or nurse two days in a row. You can't have continuity of care when you don't have the same person working with the same patient every day. And what it does also is even worse. It prevents the bonding that happens between patients and their medical team. There's a real part of medicine that is that that cannot be encapsulated, cannot be injected, and that is compassion. That is faith. When you have somebody that is emotionally invested in you getting better, the likelihood that you're going to get better goes up. It's a transference of positive healing energy. And I don't care what anybody says about that, if it's foo-foo or voodoo, it's real. And I have seen it working in action for over two decades. We cannot go away from that. But what it also does is it creates dispassion in the doctor. Now the doctor doesn't, isn't going to connect with that patient. So if they die, it's not as big of a deal to them. If they recover, they can take celebration and the success. But if they die, there isn't a sense of loss. There isn't a sense that we could do better. There isn't a questioning of the treatment protocols and what could I have done to help this patient? And so what it does is it creates an incredible void of healing energy that needs to be present, let alone just continuity of care, knowing what's going on with this patient's body. Family advocates, number two, still aren't allowed to be bedside. This is unconscionable. It was wrong from day one. It's wrong two years later. If this is necessary two years later, then these hospitals and these public health officials and these executive branch governors and president should prove it. No one has been able to prove it, not the CDC, FDA, or anything, that if, if a family member isn't bedside, especially a family member who's either recovered, vaccinated, or has a negative test is somehow a threat to that patient. Please, the patient's already sick. There's no one that could be more of a threat than what's already in their body. Stop the nonsense. Number three, the science isn't being followed, but the money is being chased after. We had 198 studies affirming vitamin D's effectiveness. Only 12 studies showing that vitamin D doesn't work. And each of those 12 studies were designed to fail and funded by the NIH or some vaccine interest group. But doctors aren't testing every patient for vitamin D levels upon entry and admission to the hospital so that they can know if they are at 50 nanograms per milliliter or below it. Additionally, doctors aren't testing for antibodies so that they can stage where the person is in recovery and whether or not recovery has been completed. What's more is doctors aren't using the EUA approved viral load test to confirm that there's no more presence of viral load and any symptoms remaining are now due to blood clots as evidenced by elevated D-dimer levels or due to some kind of cytokine storm, which can also be measured. Doctors aren't measuring what's going on so that they can adjust and shift treatment focus as the treatment needs shift from ending the infection into recovery. And they miss this moment every single time and the oxygen levels go down and then they vent the patient and sedate them and then the patient dies, okay? This has been happening for two years, it's unconscionable. Number four, doctors aren't thinking, they're obeying. Mm. And they're obeying the FDA, the CDC, out of threat of losing their license, the hospital, out of threat of losing their job. They're obeying instead of honoring the oath that we all took to do no harm.
and they are complicit in this and I'm not going to let them off the hook because when something is wrong and you are a doctor, that means teacher, it is your job, it is your duty to speak out about it. It is your duty to not go along with it. So every doctor that's gone along with this nightmare madness, you are guilty too. And then number five, one size does not fit all. It never has, it never will, and it especially doesn't work with high-risk patients with multiple pre-existing conditions where there are now additional variables that you have to consider, blood sugar management, you have to consider blood pressure management, you have to consider previous cardiac issues or neurologic issues or kidney issues. One size has never worked. It never will because we are as diverse as there are grains of sand on a beach. Yes, we are far more similar than we are different, but it's in those differences where you will either be successful in your treatment or you will not be successful in your treatment. One size has never fit all. And so one of the questions that came up for me and has been coming up for me, Brother Malcolm, over the last several weeks has been remdesivir. Why are hospitals only using remdesivir and not allowing ivermectin, right? That's a question we've all had, I think. Well, I stumbled upon something a couple of weeks ago from uh, JDSUPRA, JDSupra.com, mm -hmm. where they confirm that the HHS in November of 2020, when we we're all paying attention to the election cycle, they went and passed legislation that said, or legislation, passed a rule for reimbursement of Medicare Medicaid, which says that when you use remdesivir in a confirmed COVID patient, you get a much larger reimbursement than in situations where you don't. So they've financially incentivized the use of remdesivir. How much? If the reimbursement bill for Medicare Medicaid was, let's say, $100,000, typically what would happen is the first $30,000 would not be in reimbursed, and Medicare Medicaid would reimburse the hospital $70,000 for, um, for the expenses. That's all the hospital would get. Well, now if you use remdesivir and can prove that it's for COVID, then what you get is very simple. You get 65% of that $30,000 or $19,500 bonus that you wouldn't normally get if you use remdesivir. This is why hospitals aren't using ivermectin, aren't using hydroxychloroquine, because only remdesivir has specifically been identified for this additional pay bump. And so why wouldn't a hospital want to run antibodies? Well, I'll tell you why. What happens if a hospital runs antibodies while they've already administered remdesivir? And what the antibodies show is that there are no antibodies, that the PCR was a false positive. Then you have misdiagnosis and malpractice because they are using a medication in a situation where it should not be used. Mm. So it's a way for them to hide it. This is why doctors are flying blind and not doing antibody tests or viral load tests once a, once a patient's admitted to a hospital because it would disprove the fraud, it would, excuse me, it would prove the fraud of the PCR. 
Yeah, I got to tell you, um, they put uh, the hospital uh, put my wife on the remdesivir and I blew a cork. Uh, I uh, insisted they take her off. So they had her on for like two days when I discovered it. And mm -hmm. I was I mean, and they were for all the reasons you probably just said, because she certainly didn't need remdesivir. In fact, when you look at the failures of remdesivir and uh, the, the kidneys and lungs, there's other uh, the um uh, liver, rather, kidney, other parts of the body, liver, uh, they're heavily right. impacted from remdesivir. And some of the stats I've read on this are alarming. And so I am a guess, and based on what you just said, and we knew they were being incentivized, how much I didn't know, but you're just saying 19500 well, that's $20,000 per pop. That's a hell of an incentive. You know, I got to imagine, I, I didn't think of this before, like with all this, I, got, I, I have to imagine, Dr. Henry, uh, that uh, I got I got to imagine that uh, these hospitals have got I'm, I'm guessing the whole healthcare thing they've gotten fat and uh, happy and drunk and uh, loaded uh, through I mean, I, I, the bills I can imagine the federal government who's up there paying all this stuff the, the, these these dollars are going to be insane that they're getting because this is I, all I, over the place come on I, come on I, I've heard from a attorney that I do trust who has says that he has and he sent some documents over to me yeah. that he won a case against Cleveland Clinic that when he investigated Cleveland Clinic last year, they reported net earnings of over $1 billion. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Look at these dollars, they're insane. I mean, you could just see the accountants there and the people in those offices. Uh, and they're like, you know, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And they're just paying out, paying out, paying out, paying out. And of course, this is all tax money. This is the money. This is all money this coming is, from, you know. This is our this is our money. And, the, and for these hospitals, business is booming. Booming, booming. Yeah, I mean, so that's tw about 20 grand round up there on the remdesivir. And again, I, I did have it pulled off. I raised enough hell that they had no choice because mm -hmm. they didn't want to deal with Mr. Out Loud in there. And so they uh, finally did that. Of course, I had given her all the ivermectin and all the other stuff. She had six days of that uh, heavy dose and uh, all the things, the blood thinners, everything else I had done, all of that myself. I was the, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, home care, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Ely, I was doing that myself. Yep. And yep. between all the other responsibility I had, and I had COVID myself. And it, what was really weird is uh, God was actually pretty good to me. He kept me somewhat there so I could take care of her for those six days. And isn't it weird yep. when she went in, you remember when I, that I fell apart after that? You remember that? No, you, you crashed like the yeah. very same day. That you remember that? Yeah, I, 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 I was really hurting, man. Mm -hmm. I was like, this thing hit me all at once. And I couldn't get over it. Remember, I kept saying to you, I couldn't get my mind to work right. Remember? And I was right. like so fatigued. And mm -hmm. you remember that? And I was saying, but, and, you know, I always have control over my life and my body and my mind. And remember me saying to you, Henry, I said, I, I can't, I can't do this. What's going on, man? Mm -hmm. This thing is mm -hmm. killing me. You know, I'd be saying to you, you know, midnight, we're talking and saying, this thing, I mean, I got, I need the energy. I need, to, I'm trying to fight my, my other part of myself and my mind is fighting and this thing is kicking my ass. Remember that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I got to get you this, this, and this, and this. And yep. It's like crazy time, man. And, uh, but yeah, that was that remdesivir. So what kind of, we just got a couple of moments here, but dollar wise, profit wise with the hospitals now beyond remdesivir, this thing has been a money machine. It's been a huge money machine. That's why we're saying they're, they're, it's, it's murder for profit right now. And this is something we've been wow. familiar with in our in military industrial complex, you know, for years. Right. Um, but this has now gotten into the pharmaceutical or I shouldn't say now it's of course, it's been going on in the pharmaceutical industry as well, 
But I mean, it, it's now infiltrated our hospitals, the places that we're supposed to be able to go and trust the doctors, the nurses that we're supposed to trust. And, I'm, and I want to be very clear. There are a lot of good nurses and doctors out there. Yes. Sad part is most of them have been fired who worked in a hospital setting. Right. So when you remove those people who are the arbiters of ethics and things like that from the hospital, you create a void and you get just a bunch of people who are doctors in title, nurses in title, but aren't using their full scope of their education for the betterment of the patient. And that's unethical. And when they it, it exceeds beyond that into a, a desired refusal to explore any alternatives in life-threatening situations, now it steps into medical malpractice. Yeah, and we're surely seeing a lot of that out there for sure. Uh, Dr. Henry Ely, you, my brother, are one of a kind. There's no doubt in my mind. You know, me, me, I've been so blessed in meeting the people on this journey. You have blessed my life in so many ways. I'm, I tell you that publicly right now. And, uh, you know, there's just such a synergy and friendship with us. And I, I mm -hmm. so appreciate you. You have no idea how much you are. You're a blessing beyond blessings, brother. I love you, brother. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. I love you. I, I love Peter. I love all the people fighting for the right reasons in this movement. And whether they're known or unknown, it doesn't matter to me. If you're doing what's right, I love you. And I'm going to fight with all of my heart for you and for what's right. Period. That's exactly. Yeah. yeah. That is Dr. Henry Ely, uh, brother Henry. And uh, what uh, what a passion and a, a powerhouse. Uh, uh, it's remarkable people, just, just absolutely remarkable. I, um, I, you know, I, I do these programs when I do them and what I do with Dr. Ely is I, the, the program could just be autopilot because we just, you know, when you're bringing raw um, emotion into the picture here and you're speaking from the heart, you don't need anything more than that. My fellow Americans, it's all real it's real as I always try to do with you, you know, and, and there it is right there. So this very powerful program and, you know, we don't do this to be smart or smug here, death by hospital, uh, as I say, COVID style, because we are seeing this happen and we've seen it now for too long. And, you know, we're now remember to remind you all in the third year of this COVID exercise, that's what I call it. I have always called it a COVID exercise uh, the, 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 yeah, I mean, the, the virus was real. How we dealt with it and what we did was not real. That was BS, okay? Real simple, people, real simple. Keeping it real, keeping it real. Uh, so listen, we are empowered back at the network and we're empowered by God Almighty to see the truth out there. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. And make no mistake about it. I mean, but it, life is important. Humanity is, is, this is where it's at. This is what, this is what drives us. It's why we get up in the morning. Uh, this is what it's all about here. There's nothing more important than the things we're talking about right now. So yeah, we're maybe like someday not to be uttering the word COVID, but that's not going to happen because we've got to learn the lessons from this thing now. And we have to make it part of the fabric of change and hopefully hold those accountable. There's a lot more to come out of this. Just stay, stay close and just be ready. A lot more to come out of this. That's all I can say. Uh, this ain't done by any measure of a long shot here. Thank you, my fellow Americans. Thanks for being with me on the mission, first of all. Thank you for getting over to the platform and sharing the out loud truth. And just thank you for being you and uh, making it happen. It's time to get involved and get loud.